The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. And it's the end of our fourth season. So that means our standard countdown chart ranking thingamy. Um, Dan, I suppose now it's the fourth one we've done. We should probably have a name for that, shouldn't we? How are you doing, mate? I am a sentient puddle of a man. <laughs> well up. It's grim, but I'm excited to get into this because I always love these... Uh, these ranking episodes, I'll, I'll try and come up with something more witty for season five, if I remember. Because, um, uh, yeah, there's got to be some there. There's got to be something punny I can do with that, hasn't there? Yeah, there must be. I mean, considering this is our fourth season, and what are we now? We're, we must be like, what, 65 plus episodes in or something. Uh, I do actually have that. I do actually have that on my uh, on my laptop somewhere. Okay. Uh, I'll find you. Keep talking. I'll find it. <laughs> okay. And, um, You'd think that being this far in and having already done four of these, um, all all of our episodes build towards this, the conclusion of our of our series and, and so on. You'd think we'd have a proper name for it by now, but we still haven't. Yeah. It's kind so this of, is actually <laughs> sorry, this is episode sixty-four of the ah, okay. and not counting my sort of non-canon edge of reality miniseries. Ah, oh, I count that, mate. In that case, this is episode 67. There we go. Yeah, so there we go. So by the time the next one rolls out, in terms of main sort of roster episodes, the next wrap-up one, if my maths is correct, will be potentially episode 80, depending on how we do it, because in season five, as we'll talk about later, the, uh, the draft may take a little longer than usual and have to go across a couple of episodes. Yes, it's going to be interesting. And I am 100% leaving that carnage for you to sort because I- I'm not even 100% sure I fully understand it. Never mind. <laughs> well, shall I, shall, I run, shall I run through it now while we're talking about it? Or shall I save it to the end when we're looking nope, forward? No, do it now. Nice. Sod it. Let's get it out of the way. What, okay, are we doing so, next, what are we doing next season, Dan? <laughs> so, season five. We have now had, well, we if everybody had, you know, if real life hadn't got in the way, we would now have have had 12 guests on the show. Mm-hmm. We do 12 regular episodes per season. So my proposal is to have every single one of those guests make a list of one episode or serial per doctor, and we will have them back on the show and leave everything down to fate. We will start with our first guest, uh, who I'm... Uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was, it was maybe Gary, looking at um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, looking at the uh, the family of Blood Two Parter. So what we'll do 
is we'll get the ten-sided dice like we did for the draft episode of this. Roll the dice, and whichever number Gary gets will be the number of doc- number for the Doctor, and he will give us his episode. And we'll keep going like that, one roll per guest. And it's maximum chaos. So I, I do have something else that, that I may do, but we'll, uh, I'll leave it at that now. So yeah, our, all our guests are going to pick an episode per Doctor, or an episode or serial per Doctor, and we're going to leave it in the hands of fate. It's going to be interesting. And of course, we'll have our usual two kind of special episodes as well yeah. during the course of the uh, well, uh, course of the series. Because so. uh, we said we were going to look at, um, at the Daleks from the Hartnell era. Yes. Uh, because we did Doctor yes. Who and the Daleks this season uh, as a special. So we'll make a special dispensation for that. But I'm also going to propose, I'm going to look at the scheduling and I'm going to say that we do another Christmas special. Because we're going to take okay. some time to it's going to take some time to herd the cats, so to speak, and get all the various people in the same place at the same time to do the draft. The draft may end up going into two or three episodes. Uh, we don't know yet. Obviously, there's a lot of voices, a lot of things going on. It might take a little while. Um, yeah. So that it, it might be a double draft episode or even a triple if you want to do, you know, sort of bite-sized episodes. And then I want to see if we can get to around about mid-season, looking at maybe Christmas time. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, sounds so that's just good. a little look, to look ahead to season five, and we already have a guest, our first guest lined up for season six. So. <laughs> we do, and I love that as well because it's. I mean, we, we have this kind of rule that we've got that we started with, don't we? No repeat guests for as long as we can go for. Yeah, and first of all, first of all, I'm amazed that we've not had a repeat guest yet because I didn't realize we had that many friends. But yeah. secondly, <laughs> I love how many people request to come on the show, which is which is just yeah. awesome because it shows that you know people are enjoying what we're doing, and and it is two guys who love Doctor Who, but even even with the the, the sort of weaker efforts storyline or production or quality wise, we can still talk about it and have and have quite a bit of fun at its expense and so on, even though it does come from a place of love still because it is still Doctor Who, of course, but. I like the fact that you and I can just sit down normally uh, on a Sunday, just talk absolute bollocks for an hour and a half, and people seem to want to hear us do it, which is just fantastic from my viewpoint. Yeah, it's incredibly flattering, and, and it it makes me happy as well that there's people out there who actually enjoy a more sort of firm but fair approach in how yeah. we break down these episodes and where we say what we don't like. And, and we acknowledge that we're putting a bit of a positive spin on things or, and we acknowledge our biases, you know, f- far too much in entertainment and particularly in, you know, this kind of thing in, in terms of podcasts and you know, football punditry and, and whatever, you know, things like that. Far too much of it is hyperbole. Far too much of it is extreme opinions just for the sake of the views or the clicks or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's quite nice to not need any of that bullshit. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, that then brings us on to the topic of conversation for today. As in our previous seasons, we are looking at all the stories we have covered with this particular season of the Doctor Who pod, and we are going to rank them in order of preference for whatever reason we may well decide. Now, this series, this season, was a little bit different because, Dan, you started off by giving them all a numerical rating as we went along. 
uh, at the end of our, our reviews of the uh, the 14 stories that we're talking about today, did those numerical you know ratings actually help? Did they work? Did they assist you with putting your list together? Uh, they gave me a starting point, definitely, um, and helped drop my memory and you know and all that bit, all that sort of thing. And it's the final rankings are not too dissimilar, but where I've had episodes that scored similarly or, or were, you know, maybe exactly the same, mm-hmm. I've, I've graded it on the rewatch factor. As in, okay. would I watch X episode over Y episode? You know, wh- wh- which would I go to rewatch first? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I, don't know, I take it you've just got your usual arbitrary see how you feel it on the day. I've done my usual kind of, you know, sit down at about half past one this morning, made the list, and then checked it again about 20 minutes before we press record. So Sweet. <laughs> Standard practice for me, really. Yeah, but um, you, you it is possible to overthink these things. You know, the first yeah. couple we did, I was all over the place but for a week trying to figure it out. Mate, have you listened to any of my podcasts? I don't overthink shit. Um, we, <laughs> what I what I propose we will do is we will, uh, as in previous seasons, start with our least favourite, run through them, and obviously we, we jump about a little bit, whereas if you've got one that you put forward that's very similar in position to mine and we have a little discussion about it. But, but yeah. when we get into our top three each, I propose mm-hmm. we stop there. And we have a little look at the couple of people who have messaged us on Twitter via via Twitter timeline or DM or whatever with their, you know, the listeners, sorry, their countdowns or thoughts on what we've covered this season before diving into our top three for, for the for our fourth fourth effort, I suppose. Yep, sounds good to me. Sweet. Shall we get this out of the way first of all? Then number 14, 1965 movie, it's bollocks. <laughs> exactly, exactly the same. Yeah, it's, it's right at the bottom for me. Uh, so, Tom the pub, Tom the publican. I didn't put Invasion of Time last um, because Doctor and the Daleks is like I, I was very generous in saying that I could see what they were going for, but it was so bland. You were far too generous. I, I feel the generosity you gave this movie should have been given much more to something like Invasion of Time that you just mentioned. You were far too generous about this movie. Yeah, I was. But I was feeling generous on the day, what can I say? But this is the thing. It's like a, a mediocre episode or serial, it can catch you on a right day, on a good day. Yeah. And, a, and a really good episode can catch you on, on a bad day. Um, Invasion of Time wasn't a really good episode. Um, it was two. It was two stories crammed into six parts. That was four four parts of bland bullshit and two parts of nonsense. Um, but there you go. That's why it gets my thirteen. Oh, okay. So that's your thirteen there, is it? right? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't fun, but it was close <laughs> to it. Uh, was it that close for you? Because I looked upon um. Uh, invasion of time much more favorably i think but mm. with regards to your opinion was it that bad that it was nearly as bad as the movie then uh no no there was a there's a there's a distinct gap um to be honest because i feel like if i watch invasion of time again i'll find more amusement in it okay potentially because when i watched it the first time it it, it kind of pissed me off Right. Whereas I think I think on a, I think on a on a rewatch, 
I might find some humor in it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to rush to do it again. Mm. However, I have bought the book and well, I do plan yes. to read it. So this is it's not like I'm not going to look at, isn't it? Yeah. It's not like, it's not like I'm not going to give it a chance. Oh, fair enough. Um, my number 13 is Carnival of Monsters, the John Pertwee story we looked at. Okay. Yeah, um, I can see how you got there, but do uh, do tell. Well, I like Pertwee. I, mm. I really do. And I like the whole 70s vibe and feeling to this. Because it is you know, obviously it was made in the 70s. And we say this quite often that certain stories or, or certain serials, they're made in a certain era. And they feel like they're from that era, whereas others may not, for example. But mm-hmm. yeah, this really feels like 1970s sci-fi. It really does. Uh, but there was just too many characters that I found annoying. Um, Joe Grant was fine. She was fine in this, you know, and, which is kind of uh, ironic for me to say, because I've watched a few more Pirate stories over the last couple of weeks. And I've started to find Joe's damsel in distress just there to scream at the alien gimmick in certain stories quite annoying but in this one mm-hmm. i thought joe was all right I, i'm not a fan of the gray tory dudes they sucked balls man <laughs> they drove yeah. me mad they were so irritating so annoying and just whatever and the two carnival kind of perpetrators i guess who had the machine that people were trapped inside yeah the, the last was all right she was okay but the feather, again, the more I think about it, and the more I'm just like, oh, I could have done with not seeing so much of him on my telly, to be honest. That's understandable. Yeah, and and Carnival Carnival of Monsters will come up for me very shortly in terms of the okay. pick, in terms of the pick numbers, and, and it's it's kind of where my uh, where the numerical rankings really helped come into play. Right. And where I thought about okay. and where I thought about the rewatch value um, because Carnival of Monsters, while the Sort of the concept was really novel, and I, I, I really liked the idea. There was there was too much of the the, the great Tories waffling on. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's terrible. I think this is the big thing with we're trying to put this list together for this season. I kind of had a couple of lock ins. Mm. The sixty five movie being fucking one of them, obviously. <laughs> I kind of had a few lock ins, but then aside from that, I. <laughs> Normally we say we get up to maybe number 10, number nine, number eight, whatever. And you can interchange the next five or something like that. Don't we here? I think there's, there's a whole, it's almost like a football league table. The bottom half barring the 65 movie, 100% Derby County sat bottom of the league. Worst. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The, the bottom half to me is completely interchangeable. You know, yeah. within reason, and then the top half for me, barring who is what is at number one, again completely interchangeable. I find this series of our show potentially one of the more difficult to rank. And I looked back as well at the templates that I still had saved from our very first story, uh, our very first mm-hmm. season, and we did this, and the quality we had in our first season, we liked the Genesis of the Daleks, Caves of Angelside, and all this sort of stuff. I looked at that, I thought, wow, that was really difficult. But then I sit down here and look at this list. I mean, there's some brilliant TV here. None of it, I don't think, hits the quite the levels of Androzani or Genesis or anything like that. Mm. But it all kind of fits into the same bracket of I really, pr- I pretty much enjoyed everything, or I could find something that I could enjoy on everything apart from the movie. Yeah. So it makes it very <laughs> difficult to to split. So Carnival of Monsters being as low as it is on my list, 
doesn't necessarily mean it's shit and I won't go back and watch it. It's just that I feel there's 12 other stories that I, I enjoy more, mm. potentially. Well, that's, and that's the thing when we do these ranking episodes. We, we say it every, every, every time we do this. It's all, it's all relative and it's all with the fact that we actually, on some level, enjoy, more, enjoy the vast majority of what we watch. Mm-hmm. Apart from the movie. Uh, the Doctor and the Daleks movie, yeah. Um, so it's when we say it's bottom of the pot, when we say it's you know 13th, 12th, 11th, whatever, it doesn't mean it's shit. No, it just means it's not, it just means it's not as good as, as everything else. Um, yeah. although there is quite it is funny how you get into this sort of mid table, sort of interchangeable zone because as well as the sort of the numerical ranking and the rewatch value. One thing that comes into play for me is how much I can actually remember off the top of my head of any ah, particular episode, right. which is why for my number 12, Revelation of the Daleks okay. is down there. Because, one, it was one of my lowest-ranked episodes. Um, it, it wasn't good. And all I remember about Revelation of the Daleks is him out of keeping up appearances being a pervo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he loved Perry, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, it makes your skin crawl. All I remember is that uh, Davros's disembodied head, mm-hmm. and all the waffling on. That's all I remember out of that that thing. On oh, the, uh, the 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 comedy um, the comedy monolith that wasn't actually made out of stone. Mm. Oh yes, yes. You know, but it's, it's taken me, but it's taken me a good day or so to to, to piece all that together. Um, so yeah, Revelation of the Daleks gets my number twelve. It, as much as we've seen some good from Colin Baker's time as as the Doctor, this didn't blow me away. No, no, that's fair enough. Uh, I will come to Revelation of the Daleks pretty soon, but it is not <laughs> my num- It is not my number twelve. My number twelve is another Colin Baker effort it's the two doctors and I feel quite sad saying this because Triton's in it and I love Triton but my biggest takeaway from okay first of all positives Mm. I love Triton's interactions with Perry I loved Jamie's interactions with Colin Baker yeah but I suppose when you talk about the takeaways from it all I can remember is the doctor going a bit orange and turning into this alien type thing (laughs) and wanting to eat everything in a restaurant and so on so i've had to literally go back and google the story to remember more about it and and the actual plot i've read it i still can't really remember it so i think that says a lot see two doctors for me goes a a little bit higher but and it goes down to the it it goes down to the memory thing again because while it wasn't great it got it topped out at five and a half out of ten for me. It, it was still fucking funny in places. Yeah, like, okay. it, it was in a, almost almost a so bad it's good kind of vibe, but right. only just but only just good enough to get it out of the relegation zone, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. But I'll come on to that in a bit because if in fact actually looking at this, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do two in one because we're gonna cover. We're going to just end up. My eleven is Carnival of Monsters, okay. Um, which we've already talked, which we've already talked about. Uh, um, and my eleven, um, sorry, Dan, my eleven yeah. is Revelation of the Daleks, which we've already talked about. Oh well, then, yeah. So Revelation of the Daleks for you at eleven, 
Carnival of Monsters for me. And it it just, again, good concept, but not done brilliantly. It was, I'd go back and watch Carnival of Monsters. I would. Yeah. Um, but again, just a bit drawn out. Um, the Grey Tories are a, are a big sort of sticking point for me. They're just they're, they're so tedious mm. and dull. And but nevertheless, I did like the, t- uh, the time loop stuff. I thought that was very good. Um, and it's kind of fun that we managed to inadvertently get two time loop episodes in the same series, as we'll yeah. come on to later on, no doubt. So yeah, Cannibal of Monsters is my eleven. And then my 10 is the two doctors and it's by, it's up there by virtue of, I found it funny. That's all. That, that's the only reason it's up there because all that it with them. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, the chef one who just wanted to eat people and, uh, and, Patrick oh, Brown yeah. and all that. And like you said about the interactions with the companions, with the opposite doctors, um, mm. it was fun. It was what I know. And that one Sontaran that gets the absolute shit kicked out of him. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what we actually know, my number 10, is it? Yes. Okay, my number 10. And again, I suppose this shows that there's so many here that is interchangeable because this time, well, sorry, last night when I first made this list, this was probably a few places higher. It's been moved around pre-recording. Uh, my number 10 is Planet of Fire, Peter Davison story. Now I quite enjoyed this. It it wasn't it wasn't why wow, spectacular incredible. There was mm. nothing that sort of hit that level. No singular moments or anything that hit that level. But then there were no singular moments that dragged it down either. It was it was it was better than middle of the road, but it was very average across the board, so to speak. Um, it's interesting seeing how Perry first comes in to the show and seeing yeah. Perry ar- around Peter Davidson because obviously we saw her in uh Aunt caves of androzani in our first season but this is the only ever occasion where we see perry and davison together so i quite enjoyed that um mm. we both enjoy anthony ainley as the master anyway don't we and we've got just yeah. a little diddy tiny master running around which i quite enjoyed that was funny um it gets marked down a little bit though because first of all i'm not a fan of turlo and i think chameleon just needs to get in the bin so I was going to say when 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 you said that no one thing really drags it down. Chameleon is the big factor of dragging. Yeah, okay, that chameleon does. Chameleon is one thing that really drags it down. But yeah, so uh, that that's my thoughts on that. But again, I would go back and watch it again. I still enjoyed it. I mean, Chameleon is mm. dire, isn't he? Chameleon would fit in the nineteen sixty five movie, I think, quite well. I think he would be <laughs> out of place there at all. Uh, but the, you know, it's a, it's a decent enough story about the, the master trying to use volcanic gases to you know sort his body out after he been shrunk down and all that sort of stuff I, I get all that it's decent enough but there's just things i enjoyed more is kind of the angle i'm going with with this yeah well, i'm glad you picked that for your 10 because that's my number nine so i'd have to dig out any more on it <laughs> okay well let's uh, so, yeah, let's hear your reasoning behind well your number 10 and then your reasoning behind that's number nine then i suppose well what i've done my 10 it was the two doctors oh yeah i get confused easy i know you do mate i know you do it's okay <laughs> I'll, keep, I'll, keep, I'll keep you on track um, yeah, Planet of Fire goes nine, and to be honest, it, it could have gone to eight, but okay. I was trying to. I, I really had to dig down into into reasoning and whatnot, and, and literally, my, my number eight gets there because it's shorter, and it means it's easier to rewatch in like in just in one sitting. But I'll, I'll come to that. Yeah, Planet of Fire. It was a fun little story. Chameleon was a down point, um, but 
that at least tried something with with the effect and how chameleon worked and it, and it gave the master something you know a way in so to speak to be there without being there and then we get the big reveal of the mini master so even that you know chameleon became somewhat interesting in spite of himself and, and like i said you know introducing perry and, and the rare ones at one of the rare occasions with perry and uh and peter davison and peter davison he's just he's just a good doctor yeah i like him. he really is yeah um i don't have the same sort of I don't want to say hatred, but I don't want to say hatred for Turlo that you do um, yet. But I can see how, you know, he, I've not watched him for him to grate on me that much. <laughs> he, he just pisses me off, mate. It's, there's just certain aspects to his character. He's just a bit of a rat bastard, isn't he? He's just a bit slimy. Well, yeah, I've just remembered that when he just got sized with inconvenience having to save Perry's life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Planet gets my number. Sorry, yeah. mate. No, go on, go on. And I was just going to say Planet Fire gets my number nine. Yeah, it's... That's what it is. Fair enough. Uh, my number nine is The Invasion of Time. Hey, Tom will be more happy with you than me. Yeah. There we go. I mean, K9's in it, so that does you know give it minus points, I suppose. But Leela's yeah. in it. I'm a big fan of Leela. Tom Baker's brilliant in this. I think he is absolutely superb. The way yeah. he portrays himself as siding with the bad guys and, and all this sort of stuff, and acting crazy and banishing Leela out of the, you know, out of the city and all that sort of stuff. I think the first four episodes, okay, it may drag a little because of the whole political goings on and the conversations that lead up to what's happening and so on, but it kept me intrigued and it kept me wanting to watch. Mm. Whereas we have had seen some Doctor Who, especially classic Who, that when it drags, I find myself looking on my phone or I find myself thinking, oh, should I go make another cup of tea or something like that? I didn't have that with this. It kept me, it kept me hooked in enough, mm. which worked fine. Obviously, the bad guys were just tinfoil, so that's not a, a positive in, in the bigger scheme of things. But we spoke earlier on about, uh, it might have been when we discussed Planet of Fire, actually, when I said about having high points and low points, and the Planet of Fire didn't really have any of that. It was just kind of middle of the road all mm. the way along. The Invasion of Time has possibly one of the best cliffhangers I think we've seen on the show so far, where mm. it looks like the story's finished. You turn around, and to quote our good friend who guested on that episode, only bloody Sontarans were stood there. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely brilliant moment. And yeah, the amazing time, I obviously enjoyed this more than you did. I would definitely go back and watch this again, especially the first four episodes. I think it's just really, the last two, it gets mm. a bit daft with all the running around and the, it was let down, I suppose, with the, the, the studios not being available for them to film inside the TARDIS scenes and so on. So they're running around old hospitals in, in, in Essex or some shit. I don't know. But it the, that that aside, the first four parts especially, I really dug this. I thought this was great. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And, and you know, I, I was harsh on it. Um, by the t- and, but again, it comes down to, you know, maybe this, you know, maybe personal circumstances, the situation, you know, maybe, you know, if I want in a good mood that day or whatever. But I got to the fourth episode of that and I saw the Sun Terrence and I thought, oh, fuck, it's carrying on. Um, but on uh, but on reflection, you know, I will give it its due. Like I said, because like I said, even though it's thirteenth on my list, it, it's still Doctor Who, so it's still some level of good. Um, the interaction, some of the interactions with Barusa and the Doctor are fantastic. Bar- the guy who played Barusa, we said at the time, was brilliant. Played his part fantastically. Yeah. Um, and Tom Baker is Tom Baker. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's a, you know that you know that's all I can that's all I can say about it, and all I need to say about it. He's he's a base level of fantastic. It's just certain lines from him as well. It's to me, it's really is just like you said. It's Tom Baker being Tom Baker. Just the, the lines. Well, that that one with the guard, for example, where he goes, one grows tiresome of jelly babies, and all this. It's yeah. just absolutely brilliant stuff from Baker, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, interestingly, I've just looked at. So I've been keeping track of your picks and, and where they are. We haven't had, uh, apart from the movie, uh, the Doctor and the Daleks movie, we haven't had one the same. But our fourteen to nine have all been the same picks. Ah, just slightly just in different orders. Yeah. Oh, fair yeah. enough. So Doctor and the Daleks, bottom for both of us. Carnival of Monsters, eleven for me, thirteen for you. Two Doctors, 12 for you, 10 for me. Revelation of the Daleks, 11 for you, 12 for me. Planet of Fire, 10 for you, 9 for me. Invasion of Time, 9 for you, 13 for me. Fair enough. Oh, interesting. Similar mm. similar thought process. So let's see if we can get our first one that matches. What's your number eight, Dan? Number eight, again, by virtue of... Well, two things. One of... Um, the length of the episode because it, it makes it rewatchable. And two, because when I've actually got into it this ep- and, and dissected it, this episode has gone vastly up in my estimation. Because if you'd have asked me before we did the series, it, I'd have thought it would be way down. It's The Unquiet Dead. Ah, okay. Um, I think I said at the time of recording, not one that I particularly enjoyed at the, ta- uh, the time it first aired, and one that I've gone back and watched and been sort of middle of the road on. You know, it's like, yeah, it's it's fine, but I'm doing a I'm doing a rewatch, so I'll watch it. You know, it's only forty five minutes. Yeah. Um, but going back on it and talking through it with you gained a, a sort of much deeper appreciation for it, particularly with uh, with Gwyneth and the sacrifice that she makes, um, mm-hmm. and the sort of the sort of humanity of Rose and 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 bringing you know and the interaction she has with the Doctor. And and the um, I can't remember the guy's name now, but the old Undertaker, who's not that Undertaker, um, <laughs> you know, the old fella who's, who's quite amoral about the whole thing, and yeah. and the, the sort of arc of Charles Dickens as well. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't, you know, it gets literally banging mid-table, but that's a lot higher than I would have placed it before we started the series. Interesting. We will get to my thoughts on the Unquiet Dead in a bit because I've got Ooh. something to say that's uh, going to be very intriguing. I feel all my reasons for placing it where I have, but my number eight selection is Silver Nemesis. Okay, and again, the next three or four above it. In fact, yeah, I'd go as high as you know. This is number eight. I'd go as high as four. They can all interchange. This could have easily been fourth, as it could have been fifth, sixth, whatever. Mm. But when I finalise my list, it's in number eight. Um. The biggest thing for me with Silver Nemesis is the nostalgia standpoint. Because yeah. I watched this when it aired. And I watched quite a bit of Sylvester McCoy's run uh, as the Doctor when it first aired. But this I can vividly remember watching. I can picture my parents' old sofa, the old carpets, the TV they had with the clunky buttons, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And I can remember watching this, sat eating my dinner or whatever, it, whatever I was doing, and being terrified of the Cybermen. Now, obviously, we've watched it back. I was daft. It's not that scary, whatever. But it's Sylvester McCoy being good Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who, because there are some episodes where he's not as great. 
This is good yeah. McCoy. Yeah, Ace is Ace by name and nature. She's fantastic. She always is, apart from when she's you know banging on about her windy draws when she's being surrounded by vampires and so on, which was a bit cringe, wasn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, we don't. It's the bloody Cybermen. No, we don't. We definitely don't. It's it's the Cybermen as well, which you know, a classic all-time you know villain. It's. I just love the aspect of there's these three different parts to this this powerful you know thing that they require and you know each group has got a different part and they're trying to get the parts of other people and I just really mm. enjoyed the whole makeup and design of these three different sections or potentially four at times different sections of different groups trying to gain control of everything all at once. I mean, you know, the Cybermen, Nazis, Sylvester McCoy, Ace. What, what more do you want, mate? You know? Yeah, and. That is why Silver Nemesis is my number seven. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> so we're very close. We're very close on it. Um, I like you said the, the sort of the four factions, as it were, although McCoy and Ace, I think are brilliant. I love their interactions. Ace is fast becoming one of my favourite companions. Um, oh, brilliant! But the you know you're throwing in science, a bit of magic. Um, and the obligatory Nazis that crop up in, you know, 90% of Doctor Who, it seems like, on, on Nazi allegories. Um, you know, an actual people displaced in time as opposed to time travel. You know, Lady Painfort comes forward from, from the 1600s, which is brilliant, which is still one of the most powerful people there. And it's the Doctor's actions coming back to haunt him as well with the asteroid and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And it, the whole thing is each faction trying to subvert the other and get the upper hand. And it's, you know, that the doctor's going to win somehow, but with every layer that adds to it, you're trying to figure out how it plays in and how he's going to do it. And it's just really satisfying when it all comes off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Ah, oh, lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. I love a bit of McCoy. Ah, number seven. That was for you, wasn't it? So you want mine? It was. Yes, please. Eleventh uh, hour, the Matt he's done it again. What's that? I'm going to let you talk about the eleventh hour, and then I'm going to follow on because that's my number six. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, eleventh hour. It's. It, I, I really like the story. I really like how creepy it is in places, and above all, I enjoyed some of the comedy aspects as well. Mm. You know, the reveal of Amy being the little girl, and so on. A couple of negatives. I suppose I've never been a fan of Rory, as we know, so it's a shame when he turned up. <laughs> I um, just knew it. I just knew it as soon as you were going to say that. Uh, I, I'm not completely convinced with the big eye. I don't quite understand how this is. Is it the Atraxi they were called? Yeah. It, it's a big eye. It's, it's supposed to be this alien you know, being from billions of light years away or whatever it may well be. But it looks like a human eye. That I don't. That doesn't quite work for me. But that's a small no. thing. It's just you know, it is what it is. Uh, I I just I love the interactions Matt Smith has with Amelia, little girl, the little version of Amy, the young version of mm. Amy. That's great, and I think the little girl Amelia does a really good job. The actress does a really good job in that. I like the creepiness of the patient zero taking over the bodies of people in comas and then turning up out and about in in the village yeah. and of course olivia coleman is in it as well and she's she's always fantastic isn't she but it's, yeah well it, it, sorry if i can come in there mate so i'll, I'll just, yeah. just quickly while you're talking about the casting you actually look at some of the names in this episode 
And there's some really bloody good TV actors, and there's a couple of actors that have gone on to, to absolutely massive things in TV and whatnot. Nina Wadia as Dr. Ramsden. She's done a shit ton. She's in loads of stuff across British TV. Uh, she, you know, she was the uh, she was Rory's Rory's boss, mm-hmm, and yeah. he, he, you've got Annette Crosby, who was you know a national treasure in uh, uh, One Foot in the Grave, opposite Richard Wilson. Olivia Coleman, as you've mentioned, who is now like internationally lauded mm, as yeah. a as a brilliant actor. Tom Hopper, who played Jeff, he's gone on to do uh, things like Umbrella Academy on Netflix and. He's doing, you know, Hollywood action blockbusters now and, and things like that. And even down to, like, Perry Benson, who was the ice cream man. You know, he was in, like, This Is England and all of that. And he's, and he's got, like, a couple of lines for a few seconds. Yeah. it's It felt like a real statement of intent looking at the cast to say, that, you know, they were putting everything behind Matt Smith. And I'm quite glad it's as high as it is for you, because I know you're not a fan of the Matt Smith era. I know you're a bit more a bit more into it now that you've, you've had your rewatch yeah. with Charlie and, and stuff like that. And Rory will forever be a sticking point, because he is for everybody. Because he just... Arthur, I, I like Arthur Darville as an actor, and there are moments and, and there are episodes where Rory's decent, but for so much of it, he's just a, a point... He's just a whinge or a whipping boy. You get you could probably put Rory, Chameleon, and Turner all in their own little group, I think. And they're all still better than Adric. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about Adric. Fucking hell. Why got to remind me of that prick for? <laughs> Sorry, mate, back to the eleventh hour. <laughs> you say about the interaction with Amelia as well, uh, young yes. Amelia. The the whole the food thing and fish fingers and getting to fish fingers and custard is really funny. The the bit where he goes in and gets Jeff la- Jeff's laptop. And he, he's, he just walks in and he's like, it's like, Christ, get a girlfriend, Jeff. And then he's like, yeah. he's like delete your internet history. <laughs> it's like, watching that, you know, if kids are watching that, they're not going to get it. No, but they're the not going to get it. Oh, yeah. you're just like, oh, we've got a wank joke in Doctor Who. <laughs> but that kind of carries on throughout Classic Who in a way, doesn't it? I mean, especially in Capaldi's era, there's a lot of references to deleting it. Don't look at my internet history and all that sort of stuff, isn't there? Yeah, there is a couple of things on that one. He's got the old uh, the old Sonic spec, um, mm. which we'll come to potentially talk about very shortly. But yeah, eleventh hour, it was fun. The the moms, the the attractive look a bit ropey. I think Prisoner Zero looks a bit ropey because what the fuck is he hanging from all the time? Yeah, but you know he's a he's a twelfth dimensional multiform or whatever is you know whatever it is. I don't think we're supposed to comprehend it. Um, but to me, whenever he's taking over bodies and all that, I think of two things. I think of the the master from the uh, from the McCoy and uh, uh, from the McCoy era movie, you know, just after the the nineties movie, when he goes okay. like snake form from, <laughs> out of his ashes and and takes over the uh, the paramedic, and uh, it makes me think of the eel song from Mighty Boosh. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um, okay then so that was what, what's that my seven and what was it for you uh, it was six for me so we need six. your six now mate well we, min- we mentioned Capaldi and here we go my number six is Oxygen mm. uh, I like this I, I, I find this that it, there's a lot of creepiness about this and I think when we reviewed it we spoke a great deal about horror tropes being part of this episode the the, the looming bad guy in the background and the, the the suits 
are creepy, mm. the way they move, the zombie-esque aspects of it. Capaldi is fantastic. He's fast become one of my yes. favorite doctors the more I watch of him. Um, I love Bill Potts, brilliant companion. I really wish we got more of her. I hate the way she left mm. the show. And Nardole just cracks me up. He, he gives that little bit of comedy <laughs> relief that I think you need to stop this just being a full-blown horror episode when you consider it's aired at a certain time on a Saturday evening with, with children as well as adults in mind. So I think he serves a great purpose. I'm not a massive fan of the whole they kill Bill, but she's not really dead side of things. That was a little bit wobbly for me, to be honest. It's but a bit of a cop-out. Yeah, it's a little bit of a small... You know, nitpick on my part because this is obviously my number six so it's it, I, I hold it quite highly but it, I, I weren't too fond of that and I'm especially not fond of the end of the episode where the doctor is blind and because that I, I know we're reviewing and talking about oxygen and that episode but it's always in the back of my mind that we go on to these episodes now where the doctor's blind for a bit and I just thought that was bollocks so that that kind of knocks it down a little bit for me as well but yeah th- that's mm. my number six mate Fair enough, completely get that. And I will have more thoughts on Oxygen when we get to it um, in my list because I've ranked it uh, I've ranked it higher. I'll just put it that way because uh, okay. I was incredibly impressed with it to say it was an episode I didn't really remember. Oh, okay. But uh, we'll go to my number five. And yes. my number five is the Celestial Toymaker. I will stop which... you right there. Because we have done it. We have one that matches. Yes. My number five <laughs> is the Celestial Toymaker. So this was our first foray into one that's mostly missing, where we've got still shots, scraps of footage, um, you know, things like that. I loved Michael Goff as a villain. Now, I'm, I'm pretty biased towards Michael Goff because I'm, I'm a big Batman fan, and he was Alfred growing up. You know, it, it was... It was Alfred throughout the movies right up until Batman and Robin in, in 1997. Um, okay. It, it was it was great to see him get his range, and it was it, it was nice to see him sort of get to be sort of hamming it up slightly and getting to be really over the top. But it makes sense when you think that the toy maker is sort of beyond most people's comprehension. So when he gets the chance to interact with people and, and you know, someone on the on par of the Doctor's intelligence he's going to be quite verbose and, and grand and, and, and all, all the rest of it. So I was really happy to see him. Uh, Carmen Silvera uh, popping up every now and again. I'm, I'm a big Aloha fan. I watch it with, you know, used to watch it with my granddad and, and I think I had a great laugh with it. So it was good to see her. And just seeing, I, I'm, I love when actors get a chance to play a range of roles within a series. So yeah. the fact they've done it within a serial, you know, from the... Uh, from the clowns to the Queen of Hearts, to, you know, and, and all the rest of it. Um, I really liked it, and I really hope we do get the Celestial Toy Maker in the upcoming 60th anniversary specials. Oh yeah, because yeah. Th- what a fantastic concept for a character in in his own little bubble universe that he constantly remakes, and he's trying, you know, trying to bring the Doctor uh, sort of to heel, so to speak, and. and keep him as, as, as an eternal rival. There's just so much scope for that. So, yeah, it it, it was compelling. From, and, and in some places, a little bit silly, you know, when you've got the uh, when you've got the, his biggest threat and minion that he can put forward is a, an over-competitive giant schoolboy. 
<laughs> yeah, that is a bit that that is a touch wobbly, isn't it? Let's be honest. But well performed and quite funny. Yes, but also, I, again, I suppose I come back to the whole: if it's all scary and all horror, it's not going to cater to the broad scope of people who who love Doctor Who and have loved Doctor Who in previous decades. Mm. In a similar way, I spoke about Oxygen and um, Nardo being the comedy relief. You've got that aspect of it being a little bit silly, a little bit comical with that character. But not long before that, you're playing a game of, uh, you know, effectively you choose the wrong option and you get obliterated in various different ways. And that is quite mm. morbid and dark. So I think yeah. the balance between the two games that were set up by the toy maker there really work. Yeah, oh, they really do. Um, there's a bit of a wobbly one. I can't remember the companions' names in this one. But, um, Dodo and... Um, that's it. Is it Stephen? Yeah, Stephen. Peter Stephen, Perry, yeah. Um, well, Dodo is a bit of a Dodo. Um, self-preservation isn't a strong suit in this when she gets warned. You know, when she gets warned about the powder on one of the platforms and immediately jumps onto it and nearly falls on her ass. <laughs> and, you know, bits and pieces like that. But... Um, it's it's still it's it's very fun and it, I said at the time of recording I believe it hits at points similar beats to the Saw movies that I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. where it's, you know yeah. it's a, tra- a game dis- a, a trap disguised as a game and or a trap referred to as a game and things like that so yeah it, big big thumbs up from me and as well it was a creative way to get around the William Hartnell uh, being absent problem yes. With having him, you know, dis- with just a disembodied hand, and you know, just moving, and at times a disembodied voice, um, really clever, really well adapted, and with the greatest of respect to uh, to Mister Hartnell, um, too much of his Doctor can be somewhat irksome. You can have too you can have too much grumpy old man, but I think in Celestial Toy Maker, less really was more. Yeah, and I'll tell you as well with regards to that, we've both put that in our top five. We've both given mm. that fifth place in our in our kind. Of, now you look at what what is below this for for us. We've got some much loved tales like the Invasion of Time, adored by you know a guest of the show and so on. Silver Nemesis is one that holds a real special place in my heart because of the running joke with my family about me having nightmares and crying as a child <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And and, and you know, Carnival of Monsters as low as I marked it was it was still a decent watch and all that stuff that we've already discussed. Oxygen, Eleventh Hour, brilliant moments in New Who and so on. This must be. I suppose when, when you put it into context of what we're talking about, this mm. must be a really strong story to come mm. above those considering we can't watch it properly until the fourth part. Yeah. Cause that could in theory put it, if I was, if I was to give this list to a hundred people, mm. I guarantee quite a few of them. I don't know what percentage it may well be depending on age. I suppose the younger people may not be as appreciative, but, it would get marked a lot lower by some because of being unable to watch what it actually is. But story-wise, we've marked this very high. I wonder if it had been even higher for us if we could watch it in the whole in the whole proper format it was originally made. Quite possibly, but it would have with the with the what's left in my list. It would have probably only gone as high as four. 
Uh, okay, so I'm literally looking at my list as you say that. I've made that point, and I thought, I'm going to check if I'm right, and I'm looking at my list, and I'm thinking the same as you. It may only actually get to four for me. Maybe, Maybe stretch three. three, but four. I think it would go to... I'll tell you what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jump straight in, and I'll give you my number four now, because it, it backs up kind of what my point. My number four, I really, really enjoyed. Obviously, it's as high as it is. It's number four. Uh, it's The Mind Robber, mm-hmm. the Patrick Triton story. Okay. I think Celestial Toy, Celestial Toymaker may have come above that if we could have watched it in its in its proper recorded format. But it's a yeah. very small, you know. It, I enjoy both of these hugely. So yeah, that's understandable. That is really understandable, and it's a it's a testament to how good the concept is, and how good the story is, particularly in the the Hartnell era, that it ranks as highly as it does nearly sixty years later. Yes. Um, so you your number four was Mind Robber. Um, did you have anything? I take it you had more you wanted to expand on with that. Uh, yeah, um, my my number four mind robber is. I just think it's a really clever premise that yeah. there's all these fictional characters and creatures and so on that you know m- numerous people watching will be familiar with the likes of Medusa and, and all that sort of stuff. They exist in this world because this the, this guy, the master, not that one, a different one, the master. Mm writes them into existence and so on. I love the way that the whole story is based around not saving the planet, not the, the ultimate destruction of the whole universe. Sometimes these stories get too huge and big. I like Doctor mm. Who stories that are sometimes... It, aspects of Classic Who I love above New Who is that sometimes in Classic Who you get the stories that are more... Um, on a smaller scale but to those people involved it is the end of their world mm. and i feel with a mind robber it's very much that way because they're trying to get the doctor to replace the master mm. and, and that would be it for this world of, of the doctors and his companions i love the way that we had fake jamie for an episode because yes. real jamie was poorly and the way they wrote that in i thought that was incredibly clever really fun. and the comedy that went along with it as well with patrick drayton's doctor trying to piece together the um the face of jamie and screwing it up and that's why he looked weird and different and well weird weird is the wrong word it, it, you know hamish wilson the actor i'm not saying he looked weird but he wasn't jamie <laughs> if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. he's not the jamie um, we know and love no, there we go. Uh, I think that uh, the master character himself w- was great as well. Um, Zoe was did served her purpose as a companion too. She wasn't, you know, annoying or or too stupid like Dodo. I think the the chemistry between Zoe, um, Jamie, and Triton's Doctor is really really good stuff. I, I want to see more of that. I just really really enjoy this story. The whole concept of it is great. The the one little bit I can possibly criticize uh well two i suppose it, the blackbeard character weren't overly fond of that uh, and the robots were a bit naff weren't they yeah they were they were and, not to and, mention of course rapunzel's smelly hair and gulliver annoyed me oh yeah perhaps i should mark this down a bit no it's, <laughs> <not>. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's quite right and I'll, I'll come on to a bit more about mind robber in a bit because spoiler alert it's in my top three. Dun, dun, dun. So then, before we get into our top threes, obviously we're going to jump into Twitter and so on. But before we do that, we need your number four, Dan. Yeah, my number four is Oxygen. Um, uh, okay. Capaldi, I've said many times, uh, suffered from some poor stories. 
yeah. but always gave a great performance. Now, this, although I didn't remember it at the time, this is an, an underrated banger of a story. It really is. The the horror tropes that this draws on, I said at the time, are just fantastic. Just from the opening scene, you've got you've got bodies spinning in space, yeah. landing silently behind people. You know, this guy who who was just trying to get a hatch open with his, you know, and, and talk and his missus is talking about, you know, marrying him and, and stuff like that. And he's confronted by these zombies. Is in, it's just, it's terrifying. You know, when you see the helmet fly past. Yes. I'm just like, oh, God. And and these moments are strewn throughout and, and I echo everything you said about Bill, who's a fantastic companion, um, and Nardole, who's just excellent. It, again, a very un- underrated trio and, and gutted that, that Bill was only around for one season. Yeah, it is, uh, it is a shame, isn't it? But, you know, I suppose, you know, they can say the star that shines twice as bright and lasts half as long. Um, and, and Bill really was fantastic. And the one thing that gets me on this is the sort of corporate dystopian future uh-huh. where they're charging people for oxygen. Yeah, They're there to work, but they're having to spend their wages effectively on being able to breathe. And the fact that there are things in place that detect unlicensed licensed oxygen that then gets vented to protect market value. The, the, the suits are told to terminate organic component because they're no longer profitable. And the twist at the end where the doctor has to make people more expensive to kill than to keep alive, that idea is fucking harrowing. And yeah. with, not to get too far into politics and whatnot, but with the state of the world at the minute and so much, so many things just being for profit, 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 so many things gouging money out of people and, you know, businesses boasting of record profits while people can't, while people can't heat the homes or feed the kids. It feels that much closer than when it than when this episode aired, and it wasn't that long ago. Did you just say feed their homes and heat their kids? No, I said heat their homes and feed the kids. You just weren't listening okay. to me. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, uh, uh, yeah, it is. It, it's, it's a very clever, very clever, scary story, isn't it? Oh, I really yeah. enjoyed it. It's really good stuff. Yeah. Really good stuff. So then, that leaves us with just our top three selections. I I think already we can see that we're going to have something slightly different going on with those, and not too much different. <laughs> no, no, not too much. But and yeah, <laughs> uh, before we do that, though, we've had a few people on the Twitter verse contact the show with regards to their opinions on what we've looked at for our fourth season. Dan, I'll just uh, dive on in, shall I, mate, and read them out. Yeah, let's go to it. Uh, first of all, we have Glenn Abbott. He messaged on uh, a DM via Twitter uh, at the Doctor Who pod, and he says, my rankings for the last series. Now, he started at 13 and went down, and followed up with um, and a secondary message saying, oh, you've included the movie on the list. The best thing that can be said <laughs> about that 
the best thing that could be said about that was we saw the Daleks in color for the first time. Roy Castle was miscast as Ian Chesterton, and they could have made the Doctor more mysterious, like William Hartnell, than a nutty professor, which I think is a good way of summarizing some of the yeah. stuff that was very much wrong with that movie. But from 13 down for Glenn, we have Revelation of the Daleks. Number mm-hmm. 12 is Invasion of Time. Okay, 11. so was a, that wasn't too far off mine. No, no. 11 is Silver Nemesis, so a little bit lower than what we have it placed. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 is 11th Hour. Mm-hmm. 9 is Planet of Fire. Hey. 8 is Oxygen. Ooh, wow. Uh, yeah. 7 is Carnival of Monsters, so quite a bit higher than both you and I placed that. Yeah. Um, and then interestingly enough, his top six is very similar to stuff that I think both you and I have got, you know, sort of four or five in his top six. Mm. Uh, number six is the Celestial Toymaker. Five is the Mind Robber. Number four, much, much higher than both you and I placed it, the Two Doctors. Mm. Uh, number three is Eva the Daleks. Two is the Unquiet Dead. And number one for Glenn is Stolen Earth Journey's End. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's eleventh uh, hour being quite low stands out to me. And Unquiet Dead being very high mm-hmm. uh, stands out to me as well. So Glenn, um, obviously, we're not obviously we're not demanding an explanation, but I'd, I'd be really interested to um, to your, your sort of thought process on that, and if you had any uh, you know, your insights on it. Um, so if you want yeah, to let definitely. us know on Twitter, mate, fire away. Yeah, definitely. I I, I love how people. Because obviously there's no right or wrong answers to this, is there? Apart from no, the movie being bottom, of course. That is 100% correct. You have the movie bottom. Well, but that aside. Well, <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll talk about that when we get to uh, one of the respondents' uh, picks. A, a good friend wow. of mine and, and co-host of UTT. Mm, yes, well, I'm saving that one for last. Um, before we get <laughs> to uh, Mr. Mr. Rob, we have Christopher Lewis. Very briefly, but to the point, he says, I'll take a top three spot for Stolen Earth Journey's End, but I'll always fight for that two-parter. Well, it is in both of our top threes, if my memory serves me correctly here, Dan. But it where is, it places, yeah. we will find out in a moment. Uh, and then we come to Rob. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, if, I may, if, I, if I may jump in, Rob, yes, yeah, Rob fucked up and only sent through 13 of the episodes and then yes. had a, a follow up when it was, um, when it was pointed out to him that he'd missed off a certain one. Yeah, what was it he missed off? He missed off the invasion of time. because uh, oh. uh, Tom, Tom the publican who was on that episode with isn't fantastic to speak to him said that where, wherever I ranked it was ranked too low. Uh, Rob completely forgot to rank it on his list, and when told about it by Glenn Abbott, uh, he then responded that he'd forgotten about it, which Tom was affronted about, and then said, stick the invasion of time last. Fuck's sake, Rob. (laughs) Okay, so Rob's list in 14, apparently, but just because of a momentary lapse, uh, the invasion of time. (laughs) Yeah, 13, Rob has the two doctors. A ridiculously high, so scarily high, <laughs> it's getting a nosebleed. We have the 1965 movie at number 12. At yeah, number 11, that's... that's ridiculous. I'm not going to read the rest of it because that's just bullshit. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> number 11 is Silver Nemesis. Number 10, The Unquiet Dead, Rob has placed. Nine, Celestial Toymaker. Eight, Carnival of Monsters. Seven is mm. Oxygen. At six, The Mind Robber. 
Number five, Peter Davidson's Planet of Fire. Number four, 11th Hour. And then three is Eve of the Daleks, followed by number two, Revelation of the Daleks, and the Stolen Earth two-parter at number one. What do you think of that? Because we both put Revelation of the Daleks kind of in our bottom four or five, I think. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd be interested to hear how Revolution of the Daleks got so high. Um, 11th Hour making the top four is uh, pretty neat. That's um, mm-hmm. That's an interesting one. Uh, Carnival of Monsters at eighties. I think is every there's that sort of mid-table like sort of interchangeable zone as we said. So I can't really argue with anything else. My robber feels a touch low, uh, as does Oxygen. But then I'm I'm a big horror fan, and you know I've already said that Mind Robber is in my top three. So I'm, I'll just be letting my bias show. Uh, Silver Nemesis being as low as it is is um, it's quite interesting as well. Mm. Yeah. But again, again, it's you know it can it can all it can all interchange and switch at the drop of a hat, can't it? Oh, definitely. And it's different people have different favorite doctors, different favorite companions, and they enjoy different aspects of Doctor Who. Well, I love the horror based stuff. Um, so certain horror stories will will rank higher than say certain more comedy based, I suppose, light hearted stuff for me. Whereas I know Charlie, my daughter, really enjoys the light hearted stuff that she can laugh at at times mm. so different people's opinions different you know tastes for the show as well and again I suppose that's what makes you know this 60 year old television show so bloody fantastic i think Dan. yeah it really is it's wonderful you know 60 years of quality television everything's going to be subjective and I, it is really interesting to see everybody's opinion so thank you everybody for getting involved there we go shall we get into the important bit now our top three our top three selections from our fourth season uh what do you have at number three dan my number three is your number four it's the mind roller okay um really really enjoyed this concept um the idea of fiction being used as a weapon and a trap it is is so clever and, you know, when they're in that forest and it turns out it's actually words written on a page sort of thing, it, it just looked brilliant. Yes, Gulliver annoyed me, but the use of fictional characters was fantastic. And the fact that they didn't limit themselves to classic literature, they introduced sort of a superhero character that was from, you know, a, a 22nd century comic book and things like that. It, it was just a, a <laughs> yeah. unique, con- unique concept done so bloody well. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Really, really good. Again, though, it's Triton as well, and Triton's superb. Isn't it? Every, every time we do yeah. one of these countdown episodes, we always sing Triton's praises in whatever he's in. And again, even in The Two Doctors, which I ranked very low, Triton, apart from when he turns into that hungry orange thing, Triton's great in it. But even, you know, but so. even then, he's, got, he's always got that sort of lovable scamp aspect to him. Yeah. Hasn't yeah. he, all the time? He's, yeah, Triton was great. Um the, the stuff with Jamie was fantastic, and and the, again the creative way they, uh, they sort of made it, um, you know, made it work with him not being there. I just I just really really liked, it. And, and the fact that the Doctor had to think a bit more deeply, he nearly fell for the trap of writing himself into the story and, beco- and then becoming fiction and therefore part of everything. It it was just just really bloody clever. And the, yes, the robots were ropey, but it was it was the sixties. Yeah, yeah. Fair point, mate. Fair point. Ah, my number three 
this is possibly the highest I have placed a Jodie Whittaker story in the, since the start of our show. But my number three is a, sh- a, a story that I sung the praises of when we reviewed it not too long ago, Dan, and that's Eve of mm. the Daleks. I bloody love this. I, I think that the... I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of Dan's character. He's not on Turlow levels, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of John Bishop in Doctor Who. But here... He's functionable. He does okay. Yasmin, you know, Yasmin Khan, Yaz is, is always is always great anyway. Apart from when she goes all doey of the Doctor too much, but at the same time, they had to write something in at the end, I suppose. The rest of the time in the show, she's great. And here, I think she's great in this as well. But the big thing I think that's really helpful for this, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Whitaker as well, by the way. Jodie Whitaker's Doctor in this, I think, is really good. It's a shame that she wasn't around much longer because I feel that she's really found her feet at this point. But the big thing for me, that makes one of the big things for me that makes this story so high on my list is the supporting characters of Sarah and Nick. Now, okay. Mm-hmm. Nick's a bloody weirdo. And he's, you know, as we joked, he's, he's obviously <laughs> a, a serial killer and Sarah is probably in a ditch somewhere now in South America. Cause he's bumped her off and kept her shoes or some weird shit that he does over there. Uh, but <laughs> it, Sarah and Nick are fantastic. I, I, I can never put it. Ashling B. Ashling B. Yeah. She, yeah. She's brilliant. Yeah. She, amazing in this so good serious sad she she gets you to feel for the character and how she almost self-sabotages with relationships and so on but then at the same time there's comedy from her and she is just absolutely superb and nick manages to get over the fact he's some serial killer weirdo and you root for this guy as well Uh, you know mary the mum i think her name was mary she's great as well on, on the phone all the time and and, and the time loop format, I'm a huge fan of that kind of thing. And again, it comes down to it's this little group of people in one location with the Daleks. And yeah, okay, it could go on and destroy the world, whatever. But at that moment, when we're watching it, it's that little group of people in that little pocket. And that's the story. It's not mm. all the world this is happening and the universe is going to you know fall in on its own arse crack and dis- disappear and all that sort of stuff <laughs> that we get on so many specials and uh, series closers now in, in new Who. it really it really ticks a load of boxes for me even the daleks i absolutely loved it and that's why it's my uh, my number three mate yeah that's absolutely understandable and my your number three is my number two. Ah, oh, interesting so we can dive straight into it. Yeah, even the Daleks, absolutely love the concept. I mentioned before, we've ended up with two time loop episodes on the same list. This did it magnificently, really brilliantly. And and the, the sort of the one episode character arcs of, of Sarah and Nick are excellent. They're up there with anything that I've seen of, of Doctor Who. Ashlyn B performs it so well. You know, she's, she's unsatisfied with her life. She's lashing out. She's a bit callous. Yeah, at the start of things, you know, it's very much self-preservation first, which is fine. You know, fight or flight kicks in. Um, you know, it, it's understandable. It's it's an aspect of humanity that a lot of people would rather not confront. You know, when the chips are down, the vast majority of people are going to look out for themselves first. Mm-hmm. Um, so they handled that really well. They crammed a lot of character and a lot of background in in an hour without feeling like they were over over talky, like over exposition It was mm-hmm. very, very show don't tell. You know, when a mum's trying to ring her 
And she's like, ring me at the bloody bells. And, and she's trying to say, she's trying, oh, the lines will be busy. Like, the bloody won't, because it's all, you know, it's on it's all on mobiles now. It's not actual physical phone lines, for fuck's sake. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very relatable stuff in the midst of being hunted by intergalactic murder bots. Um, yeah. And then, you know, seeing the, the story sort of exposed and, and all the stuff with the unseen fella who's supposed to, Jeff, who's supposed to work there, but he's he's doing all the shady shit behind Sarah's back and and how they're going to outmaneuver the Daleks. And they're playing chess effectively, trying to figure it out, and the Daleks are evolving their, their attack as well. It, it's just bloody brilliant. And like you say, it's just, it's very much like, I suppose, like Mind Robert and like Celestial Toymaker and like Oxygen. It's people in that situation right there. It's not a massive world-ending event. It's not a multiversal-level threat. It's just trying to save who's there at that moment. Mm. Yeah, and it, it, it's exactly. it, I absolutely love it. It's it's so good, and it is so well done with the timing as well. You know, they start out with ten minutes, then the next loop they've got nine, then the next loop they've got eight, then seven, etc., etc., and having to take it down to the wire again, very much like. Um, uh, but brain's good. It's very much like Silver Nemesis. Yeah, you know the Doctor's going to win, but it cuts it so fine. You're really guessing how. Yeah, no, I agree yeah. with so much of what you just said there. I mean, it, it's ranked so highly for both of us, so it shows how great it is. And it made me think I wanted more from Jodie Whittaker. Yes, I didn't feel that much when I actually watched it first time round. Like not not necessarily even the Daleks, but Whittaker's run in general. By the time she left, I felt that she was... I, I liked her as the Doctor, don't get me wrong. But by the time she left, I felt I needed to see more. Mm. But there was plenty of times in her run where I felt, okay, well, I know that she's leaving at this point or the next season she might be leaving. I'm okay with that. This is we, one of those moments where I think I wanted her to stay, you know? Yeah. Well, we said before how, how let down Jodie Whittaker was by the writing and the direction yes. that decided yes. to take her Doctor. And I think she really hit a stride towards the end of a run and went out on a high. Um, but it, it's never been the fault of Jodie Whittaker. Oh, definitely ever. not. Of course not. It, it, it's been the stories. It's been the direction. Jodie Whittaker has done everything she was asked to do and done it admirably and, it, and been a, ultimately a good doctor. Yeah. And, and there's times where she's been a fantastic doctor, but that's almost been in spite of the direction they've taken the character and and mm. it's a testament to how to how good she she could be and i'm i'm just sad that i don't think she was ever given the chance for her doctor to reach it reach its full potential i look forward to an occasion that i'm assuming is going to happen at some stage i hope so mm where we get Jodie Whittaker resurfacing as the Doctor in yes. a similar way to the two Doctors, the five Doctors, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I mm. look for the 50th is another example. I look forward to there being a, an occasion where Whittaker is there and she's working with, uh, you know, whether it's the, 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 the new Doctor we have now or a future incarnation or whatever. I look mm. forward to that because I, I think that she was given a rough ride and I hope that she does come back and get get those moments where the fandom can you know get excited about seeing her again. If, if you know what I mean, yeah, go get a flower, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. There you go. To use another wrestling parlance. <laughs> yeah. <there we> go. <laughs> no, 
if my non-existent notes, because let's be honest, I don't do anything like that, are accurate, then, and again, I say non-existent notes, I'm literally just going off the top of my head. And so it's very possible that it's not accurate. I think after I've been my number two, pretty much everyone, you, me, and all of our guests have got exactly the same number one Dan. Looks that way, doesn't it? It does. It does. My number two, before we get there, though, is, and you may it's a little bit high, but I'll explain why I've done this. Unquiet mm-hmm. Dead is my, my number two for our season four. Yeah, I, no, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I am really, I figured this out as we've been going through. So I've been noting your, noting your ones down. I okay, I've not done that. Wait to, I, I cannot, <laughs> oh, it's fine, I've got mine in front of me. I cannot wait to hear this because I did not expect this to be as high as it is. Okay. Um, there's a couple of reasons, and it may kind of go against a little bit of how the show works for us with regards to reviewing the story and so on. Don't get me wrong. It's a bloody brilliant story. I really enjoy it, and I've watched it back with Charlie and then watched it back for the show, and I enjoy it more each time I see it. Mm. But I just think this, to me, was the first time in the reboot, restart, whatever, the first time since New Who came around that I felt like I was watching my Doctor Who again. Okay. The first episode is obviously the first episode. It's going to be different because we've got the doctor meeting rose the doctor's meeting companions and and so on and you get, uh, and it was very well done and you get and i'm always going to enjoy that because you get those moments of oh, there's the tardis oh my god is yeah. that the doctor and it's those reveals after so many years of not having this show that i adored as a kid on my television the second episode is obviously yeah. when they go to the future and uh, apologies, I've got some really noisy screaming bastard kids out in the street outside the front of my house here. So if that's getting picked up on my microphone, I, I, I apologize, but I, I can't, I can't hear it. Oh, good stuff. Okay. Um, the second episode is you've got some great, great visuals in there. Great aliens, the, the blue dude and, and the tree lady. And obviously Cassandra, the, the bed sheet made of skin and all this <laughs> sort of stuff, you know, brilliant doctor who it's weird. It's, it's, you know, sci-fi is where, how, where it should be. But at the same time, I felt a little bit like we were getting quite a bit of comedy or in, in a similar way to how I suppose I criticized Whitaker's Doctor Rhymes, where she would be too jovial or too cheery in very serious moments. Mm. And again, not necessarily her actions. It's the writing, production, the directing, whatever. But there are times when she'd be a little bit too lighthearted when it wasn't when it, when, it, when it was a, a, a darker tone was needed the second episode i felt we got a bit of that with eccleston mm-hmm. there were moments where he was a bit too jovial a bit too laughy and and so on not to the level of whitaker but that's how i kind of felt watching that back this episode here first of all it's the first new new who episode ever in the past and that's mm-hmm. a big thing for me doctor who traveling into the past and getting historical things correct because i hate time travel programs that alter stuff in the past to suit their narrative doctor who doesn't tend to do that it'll travel to the past and not touch upon real history to get around that whatever i'm completely fine with that here they travel to the past mm. we've got the to coin a quantum leap phrase we've got the the brush with history with uh, dickens being there and i thought he was very well portrayed in this as well but this felt creepy this felt dark 
uh, obviously it's the 1800s so it is dark and everything's a bit bank and bright and a bit you know obviously very dated and so on it felt it almost felt like it felt like a reboot of classic who which is kind of what i wanted in my fandom when i was watching the new series mm. i think eccleston here is he is the doctor for me this is the, the episode when eccleston arrives you've got the, the horrific ending where the poor girl under the doctor's instructions of trying to help this race the, the gelf this girl ends up sacrificing herself and and the doctor kind of gets it wrong and, and you've got that battle between him and rose arguing back and forth and rose is saying well what about oh then the girl's name escapes me um gwen yes she's thinking of Gwyneth, whereas the doctor's looking at the bigger aspect of this this huge this whole race of, of you know beings and so on and then you get just got the visual at the very beginning of, of the old lady in the you know walking through the streets screaming with the stuff coming out of her mouth and the music mm-hmm. hits and uh, the visual of her being sat in the cinema and then the whole i suppose the whole you know principle of what they're doing these aliens that the gal this race they're taking over corpses <laughs> to reanimate themselves and give themselves a being to be able to carry out their work it doesn't get much more morbid than that much darker than that in, in my mind mm-hmm. uh, we get those moments of comedy which i think every episode of doctor who should have we should have light-hearted moments to break it up otherwise you might as well just watch a horror film and that's not suitable for the children as i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. on in the episode we get those moments with dickens the doctor and 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 so on but there's always that that underlying almost peril that that, that edginess to it you know those moments where Rose is locked in that room, and you know there's a corpse behind her, and you see it start to move. I just think it's brilliantly filmed. Okay, the CGI at the end is a bit ropey, but it's you know for best part of twenty years ago. For, well, yeah, best part of twenty years ago now, isn't it? So that's going to happen. Mm. But I just feel that it's really well filmed, really atmospheric as well, and I think a lot of classic Who depends upon lighting. And, and the production and how it's filmed, especially in the seventies when, you know, Tom Baker's doctor did the horror episodes so well in the past and so on. It, it, it has to be atmospheric because they didn't have the budget. Whereas here they've got the budget, but this is still creating this atmosphere with the scenery and the, and the locations and the candle lighting. And it just, it just, to me, it feels like classic who rebooted and that, in my opinion, makes it potentially one of the most important episodes for me personally, one of the most important mm-hmm. episodes of new who, because if, if, if Eccleston rose and the way new who was made failed, it'd have been canned again. Yeah. So I, I think I was this looking, is, sorry, go on. sorry. I was looking forward to hearing your explanation um, for putting on quiet dead that high and you didn't disappoint me. Fucking hell. I, I just, I just, oh, you, I appreciate you that. probably noticed. I just, <laughs> I, I just let you go. I just let you go there, and it's, it's really nice for me to, because I, I, I thought I praised on quite dead in terms of my sort of relationship with the, uh, with the episode, because obviously it was the third, third episode I'd ever seen of Doctor. Yes. To put that into context, yes. to hear you wax lyrical about it in in those terms, based on your experience, I think is magnificent, and it, it, it's it goes back to this whole 
ranking system and, and the way we approach this being subjective and 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 all the rest of it and, and then not being a right answer. It that yeah. I really enjoyed listening to that, bud. Yeah, well, well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. It, uh, I, I, again, it's, it comes back. <laughs> would to you like some more? Would you like some more blown up your ass? <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose as well. It comes back to the whole. Obviously, the Gelf. If I remember correctly, at the end, the Gelf. If they do succeed in what they're doing, uh, and they come through the, this rift, they're going to take over the world, etc., etc., etc. But mm. what we're watching, it comes back to it's you know that eighteen hundreds Cardiff. And that small group of people dealing with it. And that's what I loved about Classic Who as well. There's just so much about this story I loved. And I wouldn't have gone back and watched this again if it wasn't put up on the show. I enjoyed it with Charlie, but I'm looking more at her reaction. Watching it for the show and taking notes and really sort of breaking it down for the purpose of our podcast, I, I it really dawned on me how... First of all, how important I think this episode is that it was done well, and secondly, just how much I bloody enjoyed it. So yeah, that's my uh, that's my number two, my friend. That's great, wonderful, yeah, brilliant. Uh, I'll, I'm going to stop before I praise you too much, and you get a massive head. Um, <laughs> the, the thing, so before we go into number one, everybody's number one this series. Yes, I just want to point out one thing. We've said quite a lot how okay. some of our favourite episodes this season have been episodes that are dealing with people in the there and now, making sure the few people are saved or whoever can be saved to save or a small thing and a few people dealing with it. And now we get to be massive hypocrites and <laughs> wax and wax <laughs> lyrical about one of Doctor Who's biggest on this was I was gonna say biggest ensemble casts. This is effectively New Who's Avengers Endgame. Because I've never stolen Earth. Yeah, no, you haven't. But stolen Earth and Journey's <laughs> End, in the same way that Avengers Endgame did, brings together every major companion that came in throughout Eccleston and Tennant's time on the show. Yes, and it's dealing with Davros, the old enemy, and the Daleks, and a fleet of Daleks who have stolen twenty-seven or twenty-eight planets, twenty-seven planets to make. A, a, a planetary powered engine in a tiny pocket of time out of sync with the rest of you, the universe to destroy all of reality. It doesn't get much bigger than that, does it? It's called a reality bomb. Mm, that's a cool name as well. Oh, yeah. Very cool. But one thing I'm going to go into on this, I think, first off, I think it still looks brilliant, uh, even yep. though it's you know, maybe 15 years or, or so on. But it still looks great. Davro, the, whoever played Davros, his name escapes me at the minute, did a fantastic job. But what gets lost in this, or maybe goes underappreciated, is yes, we get all the companions, we get Rose's back, which is the huge story point. Um, Donna's there, Martha comes back, Captain Jack finally gets to be back with the Doctor after spending two seasons, or at least a season, looking for him in Torchwood. Um Mickey, uh, Jackie, Sarah Jane. Yeah, Sarah um, Jane, yeah. Harriet, even Harriet Jones. Harry, yeah, Harriet Jones. Yeah, all these characters come back. But the best part of, uh, part of this is when the Doctor, Rose and Donna are captured in the bolt. 
and you've got Captain Jack and uh, Captain Jack and Mickey and uh, and Sarah Jane have got the the warp star wired into the thing ready to blow up, and you've got Martha there with the Osterhagen key ready to blow up the world to thwart mm-hmm. the Daleks. And Davros has that moment where he's saying, "You take regular people and you turn them into weapons." My yeah. greatest victory is showing you yourself. And the Doctor has that moment of introspection, and you can see it on Tennant's face, and he's not only disappointed in what his friends are doing, but he's disappointed in himself for making it happen. Mm-hmm. And there's there's nothing worse than when a villain you a villain, there's nothing worse than when somebody you hate makes a good point. And you know, when, <laughs> when, Dav- and when Davros does that, it's like the it's like that taken to the nth degree. But that so that's the fantastic bit as well. But also bringing in and finally seeing the Shadow Proclamation, touches like that where the Shadow Proclamation's been mentioned since Doctor Who came back. We actually get to see it. We get to see the Jadoon in their proper capacity, however briefly. We get that great comedy moment of the folk show Road No. Um all the rest, you know, and all the rest of that, um, and just the sheer joy of Bernard Cribbins being on screen. Yes, and and the whole story of him saying, you know, but bringing this, to, bringing a paintball gun to the set, and when a pop a Dalek in the eye stock, and Russell T. Davis just going, "Yes, Bernard, whatever you want to do." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. And you yeah, mentioned and- there. Yeah. That's why you listed off all the companions and and people who were involved, and it is incredible especially when you go back and you do like a whole rewatch and you, you see it again after, because it's easy to go back and pick, I suppose, you know, the format of the show, we do this, we go back and pick a story in isolation in a way and watch it. Mm. If you go back and watch the build up to this end game, so to speak, it means even more when you see everything that kind of leads into it. But you mentioned all the companions there and the returning characters and, and so on. Rose Tyler coming back is is huge for the show, obviously, because that's such a prominent, important character in the rebirth of Doctor Who. Martha was much loved. Jack is just pure comedy. Uh, And Sarah Jane is, you know, Sarah Jane, you can't, you don't need to sing Elizabeth Sladen's praises any any more than they already are. She's, she's, She's up there as one of the best of all time. But in the middle of all of that, to me, how fantastic is Catherine Tate in this? Yeah, everything and- she does, her interactions with Rose, her interactions with the Doctor, and then when she's got the the sort of half Time Lord, half human brain, or whatever it is going on at the end, and she's mm. rabbiting all this sci-fi wee-woo beat boop out there, it's just brilliant. And then when it starts to go wrong, and she's almost glitching, she, I mean. Tennant is always going to be amazing because he is just an incredible actor, performer in whatever I see him in. He is superb. Rose Tyler is a big deal. Of course she is. And, you know, everyone else plays their part. But Catherine Tate here, to me, she is the Mm. bloody star of this two-parter. Donna Noble here is just so good. And in a way, I feel holds, holds the whole thing together. Obviously, she's a massive part of the end of it. Of course she is. A huge Mm. part of the plot and a really important part of the plot. But before we even get to that, I feel just her and her interactions, even just little one-liners or looks of other companions, holds everything together. And I just think that sometimes she gets overlooked a little bit because Rose Tyler's come back. Uh, oh, there's Martha again. Oh, Captain Jackson. Oh, it's Sarah Jane. 
Donna's been on our TV on a weekly basis at this point. But yeah, I feel she's the most important in this. She holds mm. that whole group together. Yeah, she really does. And and Catherine Tate is a companion. I didn't like her when I've said before, I didn't like her when it when it first aired. Mm. I, I wasn't I wasn't close to the, the whole sort of story arc of the season. I appreciated and, and it was it's heartbreaking the way she has to leave. Oh yeah. Heartbreaking. And I, I can't believe we're gonna get it, you know, fifteen years like I said, fifteen or thirteen years later, we're gonna get Donna to quote unquote finish the story as it were uh it seems I hope so. but oh god it, she, she was the soul of this she, her relationship with the doctor it, it we've gone from obviously the doctor falling for rose martha falling for the doctor and then jack we have donna for <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and everyone falling for jack um, yeah <laughs> but for donna and, and the doctor to just be friends and be there for each other, and then to have that laughy, jokey, but still quite tender relationship. Even though neither of them really, you know, it's always it's alluded to, but never fully shown on screen until the very end, really. Mm. Um, apart from in flashes, it really was great. Um, and just ah, oh, the end of it, the, the end of this episode, it it puts a lump in your throat every time. When he has to, when he, when he has to wipe her mind and leave her there, but we, we do actually. I do like that we get a um, a conclusion for Rose being there yeah. with, the, with the heart with the half human version of the Doctor, uh, who's got a normal lifespan. That's nice, but for but for him to drop Donna off and have to say goodbye and never be remembered, and for her not to remember that she saved the world mm-hmm. and and all that, but as Donna is is the star, absolutely. But the end thought for me is always with Bernard Cribbins, is always right. with Wilf, because amongst all, throughout all of this, he just wants his granddaughter to be safe. Yeah. And then at the end, when she is safe, he's just worried about the doctor. You know, and he's there saying, well, what about you? He's, it's later on the the joke in in the the final two episodes of, of Tenant's run the uh, first run the joke about the doctor would like it if Wilf was his granddad mm, yeah but he, but he treats him like that from you know from you know from the very first meeting and and from there when he's um when he's just so concerned and I'll I'll, I'll wax I'll wax lyrical about Wilf Till the end of you know, to the end of time, ironically, um, because I think he's just such a great character, and I've said it many times before. I will probably shed a tear when I see him on screen in the sixtieth. Yeah, without a doubt, mate. Without a doubt. Ah, uh, so there we go. Then that is our list for well, our countdown, our chart. Uh, again, we haven't really got a name for it, but it's our conclusion <laughs> for our fourth season. Uh, Dan, do you want to very quickly run through your fourteen to one in the order you have placed them, please? Yep, so starting at fourteen, Doctor Who and the Daleks, the nineteen sixty-five movie. Number thirteen, The Invasion of Time. Twelve, Revelation of the Daleks. Eleven, Carnival of Monsters. 10, The Two Doctors. 9, Planet of Fire. 8, Unquiet Dead. 7, Silver Nemesis. 6, The Eleventh Hour. 5, Celestial Toymaker. 4, Oxygen. 3, The Mind Robber. 2, Eve of the Daleks. 
one stolen earth and journey's end to barter fantastic stuff my list reads kind of similar but a little bit jiggled about At number 14, and the only place you can put this if it's any higher, you are wrong. The 1965 movie. (laughs) 13, Carnival of Monsters. At 12, Triton and Colin Baker's Two Doctors. At number 11, Revelation of the Daleks. At number 10, Davison's Pizza, a planet of Pizza of Fire. Bloody hell. At number 10, (laughs) Davison's Planet of Fire. At number 9, The Invasion of Time. At eight, Sora Nemesis. Eleventh hour sits at number seven. Number six is Oxygen. Five, Celestial Toymaker. Four, The Mind Robber. Three, Eve of the Daleks. Two, Unquiet Dead. And number one is the same as every other bloody person who's ranked this list, whether listener or podcaster. Stolen Earth, Journey's End. A great set of shows. Well, yeah, a great set of shows and one crappy movie, should we say? <laughs> If this series had a title. <laughs> there we go. Uh, when do we think we will be back? It's going to be a couple of weeks, Dan, I think, isn't it? Uh, at least. Um, it might be a bit of a lengthy break because we're going to have to organise everybody. It's going to be quite difficult, possibly, to get all the guests in uh, sort of one place at, the, at one time. So we're going to have to have a wee think. It it might be it might be three weeks. Uh, it. I've not even started looking at the schedule, uh, so I can't say just now. Conservative estimate, I would say minimum three weeks. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. So we will see you sometime in the future, I guess. Make sure you subscribe to the uh, the Doctor Who pod, you know, channels, streams, however you listen to your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, etc., etc., or on SJP World Media's mainstream as well, so you get notifications when new episodes drop. Make sure you're also following us on all the social medias as well to keep up to date with when we are returning. But before I give out the show's social medias, Dan, let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self online and all the stuff you are involved in. I'm over on Twitter at DanGriffin21, jabbering all kinds of bullshit related to wrestling tv movies comics video games all that nerdy goodness uh, if you want to hear more of me talking about stuff uh, i'm over on unbooking the territory with utt rob where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling uh, our side projects have come to an end unbooking the tankatory looking at the life and times of tank abbott uh, and i'm putting the territory looking at the uh, the gator golf tournament from being the elite uh, however we do have new projects on the horizon we are replacing our look at tank abbott with another of legitimately the hardest men that ever lived uh, les kellett we're, we're, we're we've called it kellett club after bullet club uh, so join nice. us on that for some uh, world of sport goodness there and also we are on the road to wembley 1981 uh, we're looking at every match that involved Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks that still survives on unstacking the Dadatory. And that match in... <laughs> that's my favourite podcast name ever. <laughs> oh, that's, so, that's fantastic. And it's because of that match in 1981 at Wembley on FA Cup final day was watched by 18 million people. The highest, view, the highest viewed wrestling match of all time. Bloody hell. That's the year I was born. You old bastard. 
Thank you very much. And you can find <laughs> this old bastard online uh, at SJP Words is my own personal Twitter account. Uh, or you can find anything I'm involved in via the network that carries this show. And that's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter and all your podcast players, you know, platforms, whatever you need to oh. use to, to listen to our wonderful stuff. Sorry, mate, go on. Um, speaking of SJP World Media, uh, I'm so sorry to the magnificent Matt Lewis and Connor from at Connor Knows Footy because you can also hear me on the volley on SJP oh, yeah. World Media, covering the Premier League uh, as, as things stand now, but no doubt branching out to Champions League, providing alternate commentary and uh, and pie reviews, because I'm a, I'm a fat fuck. <laughs> Always a good time in the chat on that as well. It makes watching even a tedious game of football fun, my friend. It's, it's, it's oh, a brilliant time you. in the live chat, talking to you guys. But yeah, at SJP World Media, for anything I'm involved in there, and anything I'm not involved in, the network carries as well. So like Dan said, The Volley, and we have numerous other shows there as well. Tyler's Takedowns has just started. Loads of stuff going on. Make sure you're following at SJP World Media all over the place, Twitter, Facebook, etc., etc. But most importantly, you can find and follow this show itself on Facebook and Twitter or x or whatever it's bloody well called at the doctor who pod that's at the dr who pod at the doctor who pod i've had a blast again today and this season dan i love this project so much and i can't wait to be back with our fifth season oh same mate. we're going maximum chaos um it's going to be weird not having any guests but it's going to be nice having our guests sort everything out for us and 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 Pick what we're watching. It could be a mixed bag. Um, I can't wait to get into it, but I just uh, I just need a bit of time to get the scheduling sorted. There we go, mate. There we go. And I will give you that time because it means I haven't got to fucking do it. I'll speak to you very soon, my friend. <laughs> speak to you soon, pal. Take it easy. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I got through that without making a number two joke. I'm very proud of myself. There was a huge lack of knob jokes in this episode as well. Penises. Ah, <laughs> Willis. <laughs> <laughs>